Recently, I did a funeral for someone I didn't know. And that's always an interesting experience to do a funeral for someone I didn't know. This particular family asked me to do a very short funeral. And so having not known the guy, that was easy. I did the shortest funeral ever, 16 minutes long. It was some sort of record for me. And if you guys know pastors, you know that's very hard for us to do something that's only 16 minutes. They were very happy about it, but it was really interesting. When I did the funeral, I tried to get to know the guy a little bit through his family. And, and, and I said to them, okay, tell me a little bit about him. Tell me what he was like. What was he passionate about? And without blinking an eye, they said he was passionate about baseball, the Cubs, and beer. <laughs> and I chuckled and I thought, what am I going to do with that? You know, um, But it was interesting. That's what I had to work with. Beer, baseball, and actually, it was his car was the other thing. Car, beer, baseball. Those are the things. How, what am I going to do with that? What, am I, what is he passionate about? And, you know, I just started to think, what, what would you want said at your funeral? What would you want said at your funeral? I mean, if you thought about your life and if the scope of your life someday, what would you want said about you at your funeral? I've told people I want it to be absolutely clear that why I love baseball and I love the Cubs I want the world to know very clearly that I love Jesus much more than I love baseball. I mean, I don't want my life to be just about nothing. I want it to be about something significant. I want it to be about significance. Who wants to get to the end of your life and go, huh, sort of wasted that, right? You want to get to your life and go, I did something significant with my life. And I want you to know that we find significance by exalting Jesus through the work of God's spirit in our life. If you want to find significance for your life, you find significance, we find significance by exalting Jesus through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So we're in this series in Acts, and it's such a great follow-up to our series on the church. This is church, and so we go right into this. This is the church unleashed. And when we see this picture in Acts, and we, we've talked a lot about kingdom living, that the Holy Spirit, God with us, is empowering us to do what God wants. You know, Pentecost, this day in Acts, in Acts chapter 2 that we looked at two weeks ago before the ice storm, we looked at two weeks ago, this day of Pentecost. And this day of Pentecost was incredible. I mean, we had this rushing wind and tongues of fire and the Holy Spirit dwelling in people and filling them. And, and you looked all around in the day of Pentecost, there were apostles speaking all kinds of different languages and people were hearing in their known language what the apostles were saying. It was amazing. And last two weeks ago, we looked and we said, when God moves, have fun. I mean, have fun with it. Go with God's spirit and say, this is amazing. Have fun. And so last week, we saw that God's spirit moved and filled them. He indwelled them and he filled them with his spirit on the day of Pentecost. And what today we're going to look at is what happened immediately after they were filled with the Spirit. Immediately after the Spirit came, Peter preaches the very first gospel sermon. You see, in Acts, we are going to see over and over again that the Spirit works, but the Spirit always works to glorify Jesus because Jesus is the hope. Jesus is the hope. If someone were to ask you what Waukee Community Church is about, I hope that Jesus is in your description somewhere. 
I hope that you say that the glory and the preeminence of Christ is important. That as a church, we're about Jesus. What are we about? We're not about X, Y, or Z. We're about Jesus. That's what we're about. Now, if we see the work of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts, and particularly in this passage, I find it very interesting that the, the Holy Spirit always works to bring glory to Jesus. I'm struck by this fact. Because you would think that the Holy Spirit might be a little jealous of this deal, right? Like Jesus gets all the press, you know? I mean, we sort of forget about the Spirit oftentimes, but the Spirit's job is to glorify the Son and the Father. And so, we, you know, sometimes I wonder, wouldn't the Holy Spirit, you know, be ticked about this? Not, you know, I mean, the Holy Spirit doesn't say, well, Jesus was in great, great and all, but now here I am, look at me. That's not what the Holy Spirit does. That perplexes me a little bit. But this is a beautiful thing. The Holy Spirit's work is to make Jesus known. And the Holy Spirit's work in our lives is to make Jesus known. Kingdom living must be about Jesus. And let's not confuse this. If we want to have truly significant lives, it has to point to Jesus. And when you look at Peter's sermon in here, you are going to see that Peter, empowered by the Spirit, brings glory to Jesus everywhere. If we want to have truly significant lives, they have to point to Christ. It's much more than just being about nice things. It has to be about Jesus. The Holy Spirit's work is to bring glory to the Son. This is how the Trinity works. One God, three persons. The Son submits to the Father. The Spirit submits to the Son and the Father. There's this beautiful picture in the Trinity of mutual submission and love. The Holy Spirit doesn't say, man, I got ripped off in this deal. You know, Jesus doesn't say, whoa, Father, why do you get all the, you know, why do I have to submit to you? No, it's this beautiful picture. That's how it works. It's amazing. The Spirit glorifies the Son, and we should too. Do you want to be about something significant? Be about Jesus. So uh, I was talking with Laura Hager. Uh, sorry, you didn't know that this was coming. <laughs> Press right now for Laura. Um, a couple months ago, we were talking about her, uh, her em employer, John Deere, and I, I've, I've used this in many descriptions before because it struck me so much. Is that, well, I, I was asking her, what is John Deere about? And she rattled off their corporate motto, which struck me because it wasn't about making money. It was about feeding the world. And, uh, and as she rattled, I said, oh, why is that? And she goes, because nobody wants to work to put money in a corporation's pocket. They want to feel like they're doing something significant. No one wants to go to church to occupy a chair to make Dave feel better. Or no one wants to just come to a school so we can just really have our needs met. At the end of the day, we want to be part of something significant. And you find significance, and I find significance, in being an ambassador for Jesus. In allowing our lives to point glory to Him. I love this verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Is that, do I have that? For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. Uh, I, I broke a bottle of a sample of perfume or cologne it was in my hand uh, a while back. And uh, man, I reeked. <laughs> like, 
I was the guy that had too much aftershave on, you know. All day long, people were commenting, wow, that's really strong. Like, sorry, the thing broke in my hand. You know, everywhere I went, people smelled me coming. <laughs> and I guess I'd rather it with cologne than other reasons, you know. But everywhere, I was the aroma of <laughs> the walking advertisement for whatever cologne that was. You know, in the way, we are the aroma of Christ. We're ambassadors for him. Everywhere we go, we should bring glory to Jesus. And so we find a significance in this Jesus-exalting kind of life. We find significance when the Spirit moves in us to bring glory to Jesus. Two weeks ago, I shared the illustration of the ship and the sails. I don't know if you remember this, but the idea of, of joining God, joining the Holy Spirit in what he's doing is that we can't control the Holy Spirit. We don't say, Holy Spirit, go there, do that. Scripture describes him as a, as a wind. Um, what we can do is be like a ship. We can work in our lives to set the sails, but we don't move until the Spirit moves. And so we prepare ourselves. Up to this point in Acts, we've seen it for preparation. So if we want to find significance in the Jesus-exalting work of the Spirit, if we want to join the Spirit in this Jesus-exalting life, I have some things that Peter's sermon points out to us today and then I want to talk to you about. And the first thing is be ready. It, basically, how do you raise your sails? Well, the first way is you be ready. Be ready. And we see this in verse 13 all the way to verse 21. We want to be ready. Peter's ready to jump on any opportunity. So, okay, two weeks ago we looked at this, this filling of the Spirit. Tongues of fire came down. Wind came hurling through. And the disciples were there. And all of a sudden they were speaking in, in other people's languages. And the first thing that people say about this, I mean, I just love it. The very first thing that they say in verse 13, some of them made fun and said, they've had a little bit too much wine to drink. That's the very, what I love is that Peter looks at this and goes, oh, they think we're drunk? I can work with that. <laughs> he jumps his launching point for the very first gospel, public gospel sermon is, I think you're drunk. I can run with that, Peter says. I mean, I just love it. I love that. Why can he do this? Because he was ready. He is ready. You know, that, that's probably not a perfect introduction to the gospel. How, how many evangelists do you know have started with, you know, the person comes up there in front of this big audience and says, I want to introduce to you Billy Graham. He might be drunk, right? I mean, you know, like, you know, it's, that's not the perfect setup. We, sometimes we wait for the perfect everything. We wait for the perfect moment. We wait for the perfect opportunity to, to speak of the aroma of Jesus. We want everything to be right. We just want all the chips to fall into place. And sometimes we just got to speak of him. We just do it. We just talk about Jesus. You say, can I pray for you? You know how powerful that is? Well, why, who are you praying to? I'm praying to Jesus. He has the power. Sometimes we just wait for everything to be perfect. We don't have to be perfect. We have to be ready to run with it. So look at what Peter does. Peter knows his audience. He knows they're Jews or, or God-fearing Gentiles in his audience. So he knows that scripture will be important to them. So the very first thing Peter does is he looks at this passage from Joel and he says, this is the event 
that the prophets predicted. And he reads it from Joel. He says, in the last days, God says, I'll pour out my spirit on all the people. You sons and daughters will prophesy. Young men see visions. Old men dream dreams. Even my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. They will prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs on earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Peter has prepared. He has studied Joel. He knows the text. He says, this was the day that Joel predicted long ago. I love it. Peter was ready. They were ready for the spirit to move because they'd seen him in the world, in the word. I, I have no doubt that Jesus went in, in the 40 days uh, from after he was raised from the dead, that he walked with them, that Jesus had ample opportunity to explain these things to them. He had spent time with the master. He'd spent time in the word. He was prepared and ready. And friends, we need to be ready. We need to be ready in the word. We do value this thing. I realize that life is busy. I got six kids and one screams all the time and two in diapers. You know how many diapers? That's a lot of diapers. And you know, I mean, it's sometimes, even as a pastor, it's sometimes hard for me to just find time in this word, but we have to. It's our life. It's, it's how we know when we're ready. If we want the spirit to move, he uses words that we've read and memorized and studied. You don't have to be a super scholar. Disciples are just ordinary dudes. You just have to read it and know it. It's important. He's ready. Peter was also ready in his mind. Uh, you know, I love that the, the disciples weren't afraid to think. You know, there's this logical aspect to the gospel. This is not, the gospel is not just a message that's for, you know, a leap of faith kind of people. You know, people who are too stupid to know the truth, so we just <laughs> leap to God. Christianity is a reasoned, intelligent faith. Peter says in a later letter, to the church in 1 Peter 3.15, he says, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Do this with gentleness and respect. Know the word. Be ready. I love it. Peter's ready. You drunk? Nope. But I can use that to tell you about Jesus. Be ready. Second thing that you'll notice from Peter's sermon is be hopeful. Be ready, be hopeful. This starts in, in verse 22, and this is the first evangelistic sermon in the Bible. Now, notice the things that Peter points out about the gospel. We can't talk about the gospel enough. So notice the thing that Peter highlights. You want to know what the gospel is? Look here. He's highlighting some things. First of all, in verse 22, he says, okay, well, this Jesus... Uh, this Jesus, who was a man accredited to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among, and through, among you through him, as you yourselves know. So what Peter's saying is this. Jesus really lived. You know it. He really came. He really did signs among you. You all know it. He was a real person. The incarnation was real. And the second thing he points out is that Jesus died. And it wasn't an accident. Look at verse 23. In verse 23... He says, this man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. 
I love that, you know, Peter points out that this was no accident, that God has a, a, a plan, that God's master plan is at work in all of this. Jesus' death was not a tragic accident. Now notice this interesting thing here, talking about the death. Peter's highlighted that Jesus was a real person. He was God in human form, lived among us, that he died. But then notice what he highlights. He highlights something that, if you and I were in his audience, might be offended by. He highlights the fact that his audience were the very ones that put Jesus to death. I mean, look at the... the I mean, he's just highlighting that they're, they're sinners. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, you put him to death. I mean, he's just laying blame squarely upon them. I love that the gospel recognizes that we're sinners. And in the some sense, Peter's sermon isn't very helpful. It'd be much nicer if he could say, yeah, I know that, you know, that you just need Jesus to make you feel better. But he doesn't. He highlights their genuine need that they're sinners. The gospel is not an accident. Now, most gospel accounts end here. They end with, Jesus was God. He came and he died for you because you're a sinner. So you just need to believe in him. That's where most gospel accounts today end. But what's fascinating is that Peter's sermon is not over. He's got more to say. Look, in verse 24 to 32, the bulk of his sermon focuses on the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. He talks about hope. I mean, look at this, nine verses. And basically what Peter does is he summarizes the life of David. And he says, you know, you know King David was awesome, but King David died and he's in the grave. You want to know someone better than David? Better than King David is Jesus because he died, but he's not in the grave. He's risen. The resurrection is hope. And it's the reason for the Holy Spirit. So he spends all this time talking about the hope of the resurrection. That Jesus is alive and it makes a difference today. And that's why the empowering of the Spirit comes. Then we get to verse 33. Jesus is exalted to the right hand of God. And he's received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. And the Holy Spirit comes. So the gospel is not just Jesus died for your sin, pray your prayer, go to heaven, you're all good. The gospel is more. It's the good news is more. It's hopeful. It's more. It's this empowering of the Holy Spirit for action. Everything you see in here again points to Jesus the power of the Spirit. And then I love what happens in verse 36. Look what he says. This is good. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Friends, we glance over that phrase, Lord and Christ. We think, oh, that's not fitting that the Bible should call Jesus Lord or Christ. You don't understand what Peter was saying. In first century Rome, there was only one person you should call Lord. Caesar is Lord. That was the Roman phrase that everyone in the Roman world should have known and would know what they were talking about. And when Peter says that this, this Jesus is the Christ, he's saying he's the Messiah, the Jewish hope, but he's also Lord. He's God in human form. And, and Peter put himself at huge risk in saying Jesus is Lord because he was undermining the political authority of the day. 
Caesar is not Lord. Jesus is Lord. You want a king? It's not Caesar, it's Jesus. Now, there's a lot of debate about what the gospel is in today's modern circles. Some people say that all you got to do if you just pray this prayer, you're in, and that's good. Uh, and then some people say, no, Jesus needs to be the Lord, your king of your life. And, and the debate goes round and round. And, and you know, um, here's what I know. I know from Acts and the early church that they couldn't dream of a world in which they made Jesus their savior and not their king. Because as soon as you made him your savior, if you didn't make him his king, why would you die for that? Why would you put your life on the line for that? In other words, you needed him to be your king because in embracing the name of Christ, you were going to need God's Holy Spirit empowering you for what was to come. The gospel message isn't just about avoiding hell. It's about fullness of life, and that's hope. It's about doing God's work here. It's about partnering with him and saying, Holy Spirit, fill me and use me. It's hopeful. So we have to know the gospel. We have to know the gospel. Look at verse 40. Verse 40 says, with many other words, he warned them, Peter. You know, Luke summarizing Peter's sermon. No, no preacher only preaches for that short a period of time. So Luke gives us the summary version, right? With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted this message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. That's amazing. It's a message of hope. The gospel is the greatest message. We find significance by exalting Jesus through the work of the Holy Spirit. When the Spirit moves in our lives, I want to be part of that. That makes my life significant. Stop thinking about me and thinking about what brings glory to Jesus. And I want to participate in the Spirit in his work of glorifying Jesus. So be hopeful. Be ready, be hopeful. The third thing that you need to know is be intentional. Peter doesn't just know that the gospel is hope. He doesn't just tell people that the gospel is hope. He calls for a response. Look in verse 37. He says to these people, look, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter, brothers, what should we do? And then in verse 38, he continues. Peter says, Here's what you should do. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of sins, and you'll receive the promised Holy Spirit. Repent. Not just be sorry. Not just turn away from your previous behavior, but turn to Jesus. That's repentance. Um, So I've told you this before, but one of the things I love to do with my kids when they get into fights and, and disagreements, because that happens in our house. And one of the things I love to make them do is kiss and make up, literally. Like, I say, literally, you need to go over and kiss your sister and make up with her. And it, I mean, it's just fun. Like, it, that's part of sadistic dad. Anna's shaking her head no right now because she doesn't think it's fun. But, you know, you can tell there is a difference between the I'm really sorry and want to change, and I'm just doing this because dad's making me, right? There's a genuine difference when you see that. Uh, This is genuine repentance. The people are cut to the heart because they realize we did it. We nailed Jesus to that cross. I love that he says, repent, be baptized. And a baptism, again, is an identification with Jesus. Just like when we took communion today, we circled up and we identified with each other. We all looked at each other and said, we're a big family. Baptism, the same thing, you're identifying with Christ and his family. And so there's this faith component there. 
The result of all this is forgiveness and receiving of the Spirit. You know, today, it's very possible that you're sitting here and you've been in church a lot and you've never been called to repent and believe. You've never, you've never made that step. Um, it was interesting, for Bible instruction class, I had uh, kids all make their testimony. They had to write it on, on a piece of paper and hand it to me, and a couple of parents did it for me too, and which I loved that. And uh, one of the testimonies I read said, said this. Um, it said, I grew up in the church from the time I was a child, and somehow I missed the gospel. Oh, let no one miss the gospel here. Let no one walk out of here without being called called to change, called to repent, called to embrace Christ. I mean, just because you're sitting here, just because your parents told you you had to come or your spouse dragged you along or just because you're like, I go into church because it's the right thing to do. No, gospel living says so much more. It's a repentance and a belief that Jesus did for me what I couldn't do for myself. And Peter calls people to make a response and I call you to that same thing. Respond. Repent. I mean, there's this intentionality to Peter's message. It's not just random. He's specific. He's direct. He's intentional. Our response should also be intentional in receiving and in telling others. Be intentional with the gospel. Be ready. Be helpful. Be intentional. And the fourth thing that we see is be willing. Be willing. And the last point here is so simple. Peter was ready, hopeful, and intentional, but he was willing. Where do I get this in the text? <laughs> From a little verse. Verse X2, 14. Then Peter stood up with the 11. He raised his voice and he addressed the crowd. Well, wait a minute. In the first 13 verses, they were inside an upper room. It's not, it was not a big room. This was not an auditorium or a hall for 3,000 plus people. How did Peter get to the place where he stood up and addressed the crowds? He stepped outside. He was filled with the Spirit and he stepped outside. All the disciples did it. They stepped. They were willing. They didn't just say, we have the Holy Spirit. How awesome is this? This is a nice little thing. They stepped outside. They went into the world in which they lived to talk about Jesus. We must be willing at Waukee Community Church, we often talk about three things. The church is about connecting. We come together, we connect. We equip each other through the word. We strengthen each other. We equip, connect, equip, send. We send each other back to the world. And I was talking with Tim Gutschel yesterday, and Tim goes, Dave, when I hear you say send, I think you want me to go to Africa or the Middle East or global missions. That's what I think of when I hear the word send. I'm like, no, 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 no. I mean, yes, 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 but that's not it. As you, the, Jesus said, as you're going, make disciples. Wherever you are in your world, what we're trying to do as a church is we strengthen each other and then we send each other back to the world. Most Christians, when they've been Christians for so long, don't have any non-Christian friends anymore. It's just a stat that's thrown out there. We tend to not have any non-Christian friends. We tend to not have anyone we really interact with that we really talk. But you do Everywhere you go, you get to be the aroma of Christ. 
You get to stink with Christness. Everywhere you are, it's willingness. Peter just stepped outside. He stepped out and he said, I will live this. I will take this wherever I am, whether it's to my work, to my school, whether it's to my neighbor, whether it's to my uncle at (laughs) Christmas dinner. Wherever I go, I will be the aroma of Christ. Um, I, was, I had a chance to go to a conference last year. I heard a couple of guys uh, talking about this kind of weird church they're doing, and, and I was interested by a weird church. I always think that's kind of cool. That would be a name of a book, probably Weird Church, but uh, we'd probably, it'd be us because we're all weird. Um, but, you know, uh, this, it, he was telling a story, and one of the things that he was challenging his people to do was to step outside. And so they did like a 40-day challenge, and, and they had sort of an assignment every day. And the very first assignment was step across the street. And he's like, and when, just build a relationship with the person across the street. Oh, he's like, oh, I like that neighbor. So he walks across the street and goes, oh, I already know you. Here's a beer. Let's, you know, sit down and enjoy our time together. And so he's telling this story about this guy who did this. But then the next day was step across the fence. And so he looked out his backyard and he saw his fence there and he saw his neighbor's house. Now, Years ago, this guy um, had had a conflict with this neighbor behind him involving this fence. Apparently, there was some garbage that just kept getting thrown back and forth across the fence because each one thought it was the others and they didn't want to deal with it and they just made each other angry. And so they kept throwing this garbage back and forth till it got ridiculous and they hadn't spoken for two years. So he walks around the block, goes up to his neighbor's house and he knocks on the door. And he sort of hangs his head. And he doesn't want to be there, right? But he knows he should. And he says, sorry about the garbage thing. <laughs> and he kind of didn't know what was going to happen next. And his neighbor goes, yeah, I'm kind of sorry about that too. You want to come in and sit on the porch? Yeah. And he began to form a friendship with his neighbor who didn't know Jesus but needed somebody in his life to say, I'm sorry, and I want to smell like Jesus. Ah, step outside, you know. Be willing. Wherever we go, wherever we are, step out. Step out. That's what Peter did. He was willing. He was ready. He was hopeful. He was intentional. And he was willing. Let's pray as we close. God, help us to be the aroma of Christ to the world around us. Help us with courage and boldness to reek of Jesus. Give us the courage to cross the street or cross the fence or cross the cubicle or cross the classroom. Give us the courage to be the aroma of Jesus. I pray this all in Jesus' name.